Happy New Year. Great to see you. Okay, you don't want to give me a Happy New Year. That's fine. What? Whatever. Uh, welcome to Awakening. If you're new, my name's Ryan. And honestly, I'm absolutely thrilled to begin a brand new year together. Uh, I love New Year's. I don't know if anybody else does. Like, um, December is this whole big processing time. Anybody else get really uh, contemplative or uh, during December and kind of processing the year? Okay, four of us. That's awesome. Today's talk's not going to hit with any of you then. Um, but I, I love New Year's. Uh, and one of the things about Christmas time and this season is you hang out with family and you hang out with friends. Uh, and invariably, every time I hang out with my brother, Eric, who uh, I absolutely love, he asks this question. And I remember the first time he asked me this question, I didn't have a very good answer, and so I was faking it because I didn't want to, like, you know, act like I didn't know it. But every time he gets around someone who is maybe um, wanting to start a new venture in life, maybe in the course of their work life or career, he asked this question, where do you want to be in five years? And I go, huh. And I remember when he asked me this uh, and talking about we had just started awakening. It's like, okay, so where do you want to be in five years? And I didn't have an answer. And so I just began to fake it and try to fill in the blanks. But something stuck with me that I realized, man, I, wa I want to be able to answer that question in five years' time. Where do I want to be? And we're in the very beginning of 2017, uh, yet this morning I want to talk about in the year 2020. Doesn't that sound um, like futuristic? Like maybe it's a science fiction novel in the year 2020, and yet that is only five years away. Huh? 2022, sorry. So I, I can't even read my own notes. 2022. 2020 is three years away. 2022 uh, is five years away. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I can't even see you this morning. This is really hard. I can't even, the, the way the lighting is in here. Now, here's why this is so important. Because I've discovered this. Many of you discovered this. You already know this. We tend to overestimate what we can accomplish in the short term and underestimate what we can accomplish in the long run. This is why so many times our New Year's goals, our New Year's resolutions, these things end up, um, yeah, just kind of fizzling out. Because we overestimate what we can accomplish in the short term, and so we start, I don't know if this is the way you do it, this is the way I do it, I start with all this ambition, all this ideological, kind of like, oh man, I can't wait for the brand new year, and I have a thousand goals, and you know, you hear this, a new you for the new year, and the reality is, it kind of dwindles out oftentimes for me and maybe for you. Uh, apparently, statistically, uh, for 90% of us, it dwindles out, and most people only achieve 10% of their New Year's resolutions. And yet, we put so much weight on a single year. We put so much weight on perhaps a month 
we put so much weight on finally getting everything going and yet underestimate what we can accomplish over the long term. Underestimate that the steady, deliberate, focused, step-by-step approach that this incremental progress and underestimate what we can accomplish in the long run. So here's what I want to do. I want to take you perhaps on a little journey this morning, reflect, and ask you, so five years from today, for you, for your life, where do you want to be? I'm going to play the role of my brother in your life, all right? You're like, I already have an older brother. I don't need another one. Thank you very much. But here we go. Five years from today. Take a moment. Reflect. What do you desire your life to be like in five years? Have you thought about it? Not just this year, 2017, but 2022. Hello. Got it right that time. Where, what do you desire your life to be like? Think about this. How old will you be? Do the math. Can you believe you're going to be that old? (laughs) If you have kids, how old will your kids be? So here's the crazy part. Um, In five years, my daughter will be 17 years old. My son will be approaching 15. And my youngest son will be 12 years age. Talk about freaking me out. What stage of life will you be in? Maybe you're in high school and you'll be in the college stage. Maybe you're in college and you'll move into the career stage. Maybe you're just beginning in your career and you're hoping to be more set out on a different direction. Maybe you want to start your own business. Maybe you're single and you want to move into the stage of being married. Maybe you're single and you, and you want to really take advantage of your singleness and travel around the world and be used by God. Maybe you're married. Think about that five years from now. And then you move into the kids stage. And if you have kids and you're in the baby stage, you're going to be moving into the elementary stage. And if you're in the elementary stage, you're going to be moving into the junior high, high school stage. Maybe you're moving into the stage of empty Nestor, what stage of life will you be in? Where do you hope to be in your career? Where do you long to be relationally? What, what type of relationships do you really long to have in your life? What type of friendships do you ha- hope to have? The level of depth and intimacy of knowing and being known. If you desire to be married or if you are married, what kind of marriage do you long to have? Five years from today. Not where you're at, but in five years. If you desire to or long to have kids, what kind of relationship with your kids do you hope to have five years from this day? And I think perhaps the most important question as I've gone through this and been wrestling through this is this question. Who do you hope to be? Who do you want to be in five years? Like you. Like your character. Your person. Who you are. Who do you want to be? Now, as I've been processing this, 
I, I stumbled upon a question that has brought a lot of clarity for me. It's been incredibly challenging. And this question brought uh, a lot of focus to all those other questions that I just asked. The question is, if you could only accomplish one thing in the next five years, what would it be? If you could only accomplish one thing, you're like, no, 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 but there's so many things I want to accomplish. I get that. If you could only accomplish one thing, but there's so many different facets to my life. I'm, you know, look at me. I, I have my job, and I have ministry, and I have my dad, and my husband. There's so many different facets to our lives. Maybe you're a student and a friend. Maybe you're dating. Maybe you, there, I get it. But if you could only accomplish one thing over the next five years, what would it be? Now, here's why this is such an important question as we start out 2017 this year. Because we've all seen people who have been wildly successful in certain areas of their life, and yet they come up bankrupt in the areas that matter most. We've all seen it. We've all seen someone. You've seen it. Maybe it's close to you. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a parent. But you've seen someone who's been successful. And sometimes you look at the short-term run of their life and go, maybe I even want to emulate that. But when you begin to see it over the span of a lifetime, you realize that they've come up incredibly empty in the areas that matter most. And here's why this question is so important. Because when you begin to ask that question, okay, in five years' time, if I only accomplish one thing, it gets you clarity around what's the most important thing in your life. It gets you not to superficial things, but to the ultimate things of who you long to be and who God made you to be. Because we tend, we tend to overestimate what we can accomplish in the short term, yet underestimate what we can accomplish in the long run, five or ten years. Now here's why I've been wrestling with the five-year question afresh. Because my brother asked me that question uh, a long time ago, and I've sat around tables with him where we're at, you know, dinner parties or restaurants, and he's like just nailing somebody. And then I jump in, and I'm like nailing him too, because I can answer the question now, you know, so I'm no longer the insecure freak out. But I'm like, yeah, yeah, you need to answer this question. But here's why I've been really reflective this December. Five years ago uh, today, uh, today, we announced that we were going to launch a church called Awakening Church. It's hard to believe that that was five years ago. We took a college ministry, young adults group, and began to fashion a church that would set out to do something that we're not, we haven't seen a church in this area do, to awaken this generation to new life in Jesus. Uh, uh, one of my good friends, Josh and Danny Fox, they, at the New Year's, always ask us these questions. And, I, and if you can't tell, I really like great questions. And I wrestle with this every year as well. And this question they ask is... Um, what one word would you use to describe the previous year? Like if you could sum it up into what one word, what one word would that be? 
And so I generally sit and wrestle with, okay, what would that word be? And then they ask this follow-up question. It's a fantastic question. These two questions, write them down because go out to lunch, talk about it with friends, talk about it with your family, talk about it with your spouse. It will get you to a new level of depth with people. You'll move from the surface and get to the heart. And then what one word do you hope the next year to be? Would you would hope describe your upcoming year? What one word would you uh, use to describe the previous year? And then what one word would you hope the next year to be? How would you describe the next year? Like, this is your prayer. This is your longing. This is, so, this is something I haven't done before, but I decided to go back to the origins of awakening and take one word to describe each year. And what was fascinating is just to see the arc of what has God has done over five years' time. And so if I go back to 2012, January, uh, the very first Sunday, we announced Awakening Church. Uh, if I had to use one word to describe awakening uh, in that season, it was the word adventure. We were on an adventure. Jenny and I didn't set out to plant a church. We never intended to be uh, doing this, so we had no idea what we're doing. And the people joined us, which was phenomenal, but it was just an adventure. We set out with wild-eyed optimism and couldn't wait to see what God's going to do, and we're just excited for it. And yet, in the middle of that adventure, when I look back to 2012 especially, the one word I'd use for myself as I look back on that year would be the word insecurity. What I realized is I was deeply, deeply insecure. I was afraid. One of my biggest fears is to fail. I don't know about you, and so it drives me. And I, and I come from kind of the, a background of, you know, my dad's a pastor, and he's pretty successful at it. And so I live with this pressure sometimes to be a great pastor or be a great preacher. And I was deeply insecure. In fact, at the very beginning, I didn't even want to be called, like, the leader because I was afraid. When we do leadership meetings, I'd bring in someone else to lead and teach it because I didn't feel like I had what it took. Ever been there? Ever felt that? 2012 was an adventure, and yet, at the same time, I was wrestling with my own deep-seated insecurity. Well, then 2013 comes along, and because you have an insecure leader who doesn't know what he's doing, but we had some incredible people that were along for the ride, thank goodness, but we were wandering. We were just trying some stuff. We weren't exactly sure if this was going to work, or this was going to work, or if that's going to work, and so we're just taking steps, wandering, wondering what's going to work, and trying different things, and you're going like, I don't know how we are going to do this, and and the word I'd use for me is striving, because insecure people, by the way, just, this is a little tidbit for you, insecurity is always based in our identity. When your identity isn't secure, you bring it out in different ways. So when my identity isn't founded as a son of the beloved king, most high, adopted, forgiven, redeemed, I don't have to earn it, I get to live in it, then you are striving, and I was striving to prove myself, striving to not fail, striving to somehow 
hold on. And this is how I describe it in those early years, 2012, 2013. It felt like awakening was this train, and we're flying faster than I know how to control, and it felt like the tracks were just being laid just in front of us, and at any time the track would run out and we'd just crash. Then 2014 happened, (laughs) and it was a storm. Another way to use 2014 is the word transition. It was the toughest year of ministry that I've ever experienced. Now, it's not the hardest year of my life because my kids' health was okay, but it was the toughest year of ministry for Jenny and I. Uh, We transitioned, so we started out as a um, night service, but what we found out was we had a group, a a young adults ministry, but not a church that was going to awaken this generation to new life. And so decided to move to Sunday mornings to build out a foundation of a church with the people who would be passionate to run hard after God, trust Him with their lives, and say, you know what, there's a missing generation in, this, in, in the church that needs to be reached, and I believe in them, and so we're going to get after them. And so we stopped our Sunday evening service, got a lot of people mad, and a lot of people left. And then I had a couple close friends and teammates and staff members that left at that same time. And then (laughs) I felt deeply wounded by one of my mentors in my life that I felt betrayed, both Jenny and I. We we hadn't ever felt quite this betrayed before. And so in 2014, the storm was raging and my word was wounded. Just wounded. Just hurt. Not sure if we could go on, not sure if we could make it, not sure how it was going to work, what's going to happen. I remember that summer, we just were dragging in and just clinging and trying to keep our head above water. And what's interesting is during that time, and I've never shared this, but I had two job offers during that time. One was to be just a teaching pastor at this church. All I had to do was teach. I tell you what, that sounds awesome. don't have to do any of the other work. We don't have to set up and tear down. All I have to do is teach. The other was to be a lead pastor at another church, and they already had a building. It's amazing. Here's the thing for us, though, as we sat in that storm and we sat very wounded, what we were clear on was God had called us to start a movement We don't know how it's going to go and what's next, but he had called us to start a movement of people who had awakened this generation, and he hadn't called us to anything yet next. And so to step out into that would be disobedience, even though it seemed easier and nicer, and the grass is greener. It was during that time that we were teaching through the book of Mark, and we came, we did this series called Between Two Storms, And I remember uh, coming to the passage where Jesus was asleep in the storm at the bow. And that's how I felt. And I got to be honest, during 2014, I had a lot of scream matches at God. You called us to do this. You called us, I'd be running, I'd be running uphill. And I'm like, this is what it feels like. I'm just running uphill. And there's never a top to it. God, why? I was a little whiny baby, really come to this passage so good. I see Jesus asleep, and that's often how we feel in the storms of our life, that God's asleep. 
But I saw something in that text I'd never seen before. And I've shared this with some of you before. I realized that the disciples didn't wake up Jesus to calm the storm. And the reason is when he calmed the storm, they were freaked out and afraid. The disciples woke up Jesus to bell water, to, to go in, hey, there's 12 of us, we're belling water, we got one guy sleeping and we're going down. Jesus, don't you care? Pick up a bucket. And what I realized with my prayer life, and this is powerful for some of you in this new year, with my prayer life, so oftentimes I was asking God to bell water when he wanted to calm storms. And all of a sudden my prayer life changed as I began to trust and believe God that he wanted to calm the storms in our life. I began to pray for a movement that God would build a kingdom dream team and don't even know what that's like. And he brought Steve Saccone onto our staff that we'd have an office. Everything was done out of our home at that time. Like, we were burnt out. And then he provided an office that was close to our house. I can ride my bike. I don't, but I should, but I can ride my bike. <laughs> that our trucks are parked at, where we have morning meeting space. We couldn't do mid-sized gatherings for the first three years of our church because we all did it all in homes. And then now we have a men's mornings group. We have a mama's group. We have a couple evening missional communities that meet there. And I just look at, wow. Wow, God. And so then 2015, the word was foundation for Awakening Church, that he began to build this foundation of people. It's an unbelievable thing to, to sit back and watch after you came out wounded and going like, it felt like everybody was leaving at one point, and then he just began to place pillar people, place key people at the right time, and draw people that I'm just amazed. I look around at our church, and it's unbelievable I love being at this church, uh, and it's not because I started it. It's because of the people God has brought to this church, the hearts and the passions. And so 2015, for me, and I know for my wife, was a healing year. It's the word. It began to heal the wounds, began to bring hope. And then 2016, that's last year, this last year. The word, I, I had so many words, I really wrestled with this. It was the word was health. I want to say growth, I want to say fruit, because that was all of it, but, but we're more healthy as a church than we've ever been. And I, I'll tell you what, to me, healthy people, healthy followers of Jesus reproduce healthy followers of Jesus. The word for me this last year was just freedom. If I started out in 2016 as this insecure person, one of my prayers in the development and character process of God in my life is to strip back all the things that I worry about, to strip back like, hey, I'm preaching right now. Hey, I'm talking up in front, but I can't care what you say. I want to care what my heavenly father says. And where I get more concerned, not with making a mistake or saying to 2020, but with you hearing from God and presenting that and just letting the results or the outcome go. And I've begun to experience that where I go, freedom, freedom, hello, freedom. And I've never had more fun in my life in ministry. And think about the health of our church. My wife said this, if you get, get back to that question, if you could only accomplish one thing, you know, what would it be? And when we started out, uh, she said this, well, if at least one person comes to know Jesus, that would be great. And I'm going like, I want a whole lot more than that. 
In the last five years, we've seen uh, right around 100 people come to know Jesus. We started out saying that we're going to be a church that leads the way in unleashing extravagant generosity to a hurting and broken world because we have an extravagantly generous God. Every year, we made the commitment up front that we're going to give at least 10% outside our doors. We've given over that every single year. I think the lowest is 12%. Last year, I think, was 15%. This year's generous campaign... We responded immediately with uh, Haiti Relief in October and gave away 10 grand. And then watched from November to December, this community, this church, do you know how much? (coughs) Just under 80 grand from November to December. Our very first year, 2012, we're four months old as a baby church. We set this out, and we had one uh, person who we wanted to raise 15 grand. That was like massive. It was mind-blowing. And we had one person who said, uh, you know what? I'm going to do a matching so that we can get there, that we can that motivate our church. And his matching at that moment began to spur a movement. And here we are today in three months' time, have raised and given away $90,000. Now think about this. Last year, the total amount that we were able to give away, both locally and globally, was $92,000. In our generous generous campaign this year alone, we've given away $90,000. Our missional communities, we want to be a church not just with missional, or of mission, yeah, wait, hang on, with missional communities. I always get that one wrong too, Um, but of them. And our missional community said, hey, why don't we get around some of these students at Del Mar? And we reached out to them and said, hey, do you have any students that need help? That aren't going to have something for Christmas? And our missional communities gave so generous. This is on top of the generous campaign. Gave so generous. There's five students that desperately needed help. One student hadn't had electricity for a year. One student had lost her job because their family couldn't afford where they live and was now commuting because they were living with family in Los Banos. She drives from Los Banos to Del Mar High every single day, and she couldn't afford to pay for her braces to get fixed because she lost her job. That's how she's paying for her braces. And I asked her, how much is your braces to get them fixed? And she said, 600 bucks. You know what's awesome? Is because we have a generous church. I didn't even have to think about it. We already had money set aside. I said, great, we'll cover your braces. That home that didn't have electricity for a year, we had a couple missional communities said, we want them to have electricity. We were able to get them electricity and then pay for the next year's electricity. And they got it before Christmas Day, which was awesome. So, If we could only accomplish one thing as a church over this next five years, what would it be? I I think um, Jesus said it best, and so let's just stick with Jesus. If you got your Bibles, would you open them up to Matthew 28, verse 18? If we could only accomplish one thing in the next five years, let me be 
perfectly clear. It wouldn't be to get a building, even though, boy, I want a building. You know, we spend six weeks in the cafeteria here because of the theater production and crew last night setting up everything. It would be great to have a building. But if we could only accomplish one thing, it wouldn't be a building. If we could only accomplish one thing, it wouldn't be to be the cool church in town. To have the best coffee and pastries, which we do. It wouldn't be that. It wouldn't be to be big. Even though we long to have a big impact, to see a movement sweep across this city. Jesus said it this way. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, period. Let me put that into perspective for you. We have a new president taking over authority of our nation, but I have news for you. Jesus still has all of the authority. All authority, all power, all dominion resurrected Savior of the world, therefore. You don't start before the therefore, by the way. Because if it's glorious Jesus, who came for you, lived a perfect life, died for you and for me, and then rose again, defeating sin, death, and Satan, then he alone deserves our affection, our allegiance, our focus, our energy, it's Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. See, a disciple of Jesus is simply one who makes others disciples. Instead of defining maturity as we so often do in the church world as knowing more, Jesus defined maturity as reproducing your life. Making other disciples. And literally how that is constructed in the text it is, therefore, as you're going, disciple. That it's a way of life, that who you are, that every conversation is a discipleship opportunity. Every relationship is an opportunity to lead people closer to Jesus. Therefore, as you go about your day, as you go about your workday, as you go about being a mom, as you go about being a dad, as you go about Little League, and you go about hanging out at B2, Disciple. Reproduce your life. Baptizing them, this is the identification into the community of Christ in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything. Teaching them to obey how much? Help me. Okay, we'll try it one more time. Teaching them to obey, help? Everything. Now think about this. Followers of Jesus simply follow what Jesus says. That's it. That's how simple it is. Doesn't mean it's easy. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you in the promise, and surely I am with you always. If we could only accomplish one thing, that we would be a church that makes much of Jesus. That we would be a church that in every conversation... 
in every relationship, our lives would simply point to Jesus. That we would live in such awe and wonder of his grace, awe and wonder of his love, that we couldn't help but overflow and long for every person in our life to know and experience him that Jesus wouldn't just be a name, and Jesus wouldn't just be kind of a religious thing we do, but Jesus would be the author of our lives and salvation, where we'd make much of Jesus. We'd be a church that helps other people follow Jesus. And said another way, we would awaken a generation to new life. Well, what's a disciple look like? First, we've defined it in five ways have contagious faith, not condemning faith. Or you just simply take God at his word, trust him, step out, and risk. That's how you grow faith, by the way. You just take God at his word, and you step out and find him faithful. That would be a church with, that's engaged in life-giving practices. Jot down John 15 right next to that. That may, for some, need to be your theme verse for the year. That we would abide deeply with Jesus. That we would rest in Him. In fact, one of the ways we're trying to do it, we want, uh, want everyone, and I want everyone here, grab, you have this Bible reading plan. We're reading through the Old Testament. We read through the New Testament last year. Join us as we read through this. Get into God's Word and let God's Word get into you. We'd be a church of extravagant generosity, that we'd have intentional relationships where, where you're in a community, a missional community, growing and knowing Jesus and growing in community with others and then living on mission. And that we would be a church, a disciple is simply those who engage in meaningful ministry. I think... You have been supernaturally gifted by God. The minute you gave your life to Christ, the Spirit of God is deposited in you. You are sealed until the day of redemption. Think about that. There's nothing you can do to uh, change what God has already done. He says, you're sealed, you're mine, you're my daughter, you're my son. Amen. And then he says, I've deposited a gift inside of you that as you walk in step with me in obedience, I'm going to bring about supernatural good. Imagine if every single person here said, you know, no, I have a meaningful ministry. I have supernatural gifts deposited in me. I want to discover and then use them for his glory to make much of Jesus. The reality is we often overestimate what we can accomplish in the short term and underestimate what we can accomplish in the long run. I... I looked at those five years, five years ago, 2012 to 16, and I just look at the last two years, and specifically 2016, and go, this is what I would have missed. If I would have given up, gotten out, the stories that we just shared, the lives that have just been changed. We got baptisms in our second service. We tried to get them to the first two. They are second services. Wouldn't have happened. I took time to answer the in five years question, if I could only accomplish one thing. And this is my answer. 
my challenge to you is that you would take time and actually go through the process that I laid out here for you. That you would answer the questions from five years from today, that you would look back, go five years ago, fill in the word, what you would use to describe it, get into God's word about what he says is, matters most, and then write a single statement in five years. If you could only accomplish one thing, what would it be? For me, in five years, I want to be known as a joyful, spirit-filled, loving husband, father, pastor who lives with integrity of heart and leads others to the heart of God. Because here's what I've discovered as I wrestled with that question. So often our goals are filled with what's. And they're tangible and they're tactile. They're easy to measure. And yet, I realize the who matters way more than the what's. Who you're becoming in five years matters far more than what you accomplish over these five years. And what I sat and realized, if I become a person who walks in step with the Spirit of God, who explains, my theme verse this year is uh, Galatians 5, uh, 20, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. If I become one who is Spirit-filled and the fruit of the Spirit, man, that's going to impact my kids, my wife our church. That's what matters most. <laughs> in five years, stage of life for me, well, I'll, be, I'll have high schoolers. And this is why I love the vision of our church to awaken this generation. In my journal, I just jot these notes down. I want my kids to love Jesus and cherish his bride, the church. I know they're pastor's kids. And pastor's kids sometimes get burnt out on the church, but I'm committed to being the same person at home as I am here, and I long for them to not just love Jesus, but the church as well, because it's his bride. We're called to make his bride beautiful. I want them to have godly, passionate young adults investing in them during their teenage years to help guide them through this critical stage of life. I want an intimacy with Jesus and an adventure in following him to be part of their daily lives. I want them to see the power of God at work in people's lives to heal, restore, renew, and bring new life. And I want them to experience the depth of Jesus' grace and live in all of his love. More than anything else, I want to create a movement that fosters this for every teenager, college student on the planet. In the year 2022, how about you? Jesus, thanks so much for our time. Thank you for this new year. God, we trust you for the next steps. God, I, I pray for those that are wrestling this new year with who they are, their identity, that they would run to you and experience your grace, and their belovedness as your kid. God, I pray for those that walked into 2017 with regret and shame and pain, and they would run to you and experience your forgiveness and your redemption and your healing power. God, I pray for those who, who are excited about what's upcoming and have 
incredible goals. I ask that you would uh, fuel them and lead them and give them great wisdom to know what to do and then the courage to do uh, what you've called them to do. And then more than anything else, God, I pray for us as a church that we are the collective body of Christ, that we would be a church not known for cool or worship or teaching or coffee or whatever else. We'd be a church known that to make much of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.